Today's sermon will be from John chapter 8, so if you would turn in your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 21 and go through verse 47. Um, The sermon will be focused on uh, the part about the truth setting you free, verses 31 and following. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you'll seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you can't come? And he said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I had heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father, Jesus said to them. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth... You do not believe me? 
Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we do pray that we would receive your word, that your word, your truth, your son would set us free, that we might be free indeed. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I begin, let me do what has become a regular practice in the life of Restoration Church in July and August, and that is say goodbye to people. Uh, We kind of get used to it around here. If you're new to Restoration Church, welcome. Uh, We need people like you to come in because we have a lot of people that go out over the course of days. And uh, so as to not prolong the agony of seeing our brothers and sisters leave week after week as I say goodbye to them, you know, on behalf of the church, to you, Blackwoods, Hawkins, Ridgeways, Sorrells, and if I'm forgetting some others, please forgive me. Uh, We love you and we will miss you um, very much. Um, I want to repeat something. I asked Jake's permission if I could do this. But uh, I heard through the grapevine, at least Joey told me, that something that Jake said to him years ago, Jake and Jamie, his wife, they have two children. Uh, he's going to school full-time, getting a PhD. His wife is working. They don't live that close to the church. Uh, that's saying it mildly. And uh, he made a statement, at least Joey told me that he made a statement, that uh, he said that no matter what we do, we will not compromise on the gathering of the church, and we will not compromise on gathering together with our community group week in and week out. And they've done that, even though they've had a lot of responsibility in their life. And so that's just one example that I could say of the other people that I just mentioned. Um, And so if you're coming in to the life of this church, we need your help. So don't just receive the cooking from the kitchen. Uh, Come in and help us cook it so that many might enjoy, like the Blackwoods and the Sauls and the Hawkins and the Ridgeways and others that are leaving. So... Uh, we do this together. We follow Jesus together and we need each other to follow Christ so that we would be free. And so I ask you that very question. Do you want to be free? I'm assuming that everybody in this room would say yes to that question. I want to be free. Yes, of course I want to be free. I don't know that I've ever met someone that said that they wanted to be enslaved. Um, but I ask a simple question in response to that. We all want to be free. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be free. And I'm not talking about political freedom, not talking about financial freedom, not talking about social freedom. I'm talking about freedom at the deepest sense. Spiritual freedom. Because the reality is there are a lot of people that have financial and social and uh, uh, whatever, political freedom, and yet they are very much enslaved in their lives. When you evaluate. And vice versa, there's people that are enslaved financially and socially and politically that are very much free. So freedom has got to be something deeper. Something deeper. So what is it? What is freedom? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about over the course of the next month. So what we're going to do, we're going to take the next four weeks to describe and to investigate Christian freedom. Today we'll define what freedom is. Uh, next week we'll then say, all right, that now that we know what freedom is, how is it we think about that freedom in the day today? And then the final two weeks we'll take uh, the two things that are most valuable to us, our time and our treasure, and see how we can use those as examples to live out our freedom. So that's where we're going over the course of the next four weeks. But we have to begin with 
what freedom is. We've got to understand what, in fact, Christian freedom or freedom in general is. So one place we might go to try to evaluate that, to see what it is, is by taking a look at a dictionary and see how they describe it, how they define freedom. And so we open up to the Oxford Dictionary and we find that they define freedom like this. They would say that freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants. It's the Oxford Dictionary. The power or right uh, to act, speak, or think as one wants. Does that sound right? I think it does accurately reflect what America understands freedom to be in 2018. But is it actually freedom? In the most deepest sense. Does it actually free or empower a soul to act, think, or speak however you want? Is that real freedom? Well, let's take a look and see what Jesus has to say freedom is. We're going to be doing that, as you heard Berkeley read from John chapter 8. John, the book of John in the Bible, is named after its author, John. John was one of the twelve disciples. He traveled with Jesus for some three years, uh, living 24-7 with Jesus, doing ministry with Jesus. And uh, he writes this account here in John at the end of the first century. And uh, he writes as he tells us, he tells us why he writes it in John chapter 20, verse 31. Here's what he says. He writes this, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's the purpose behind this book. John is writing so that all peoples might see that Jesus is the Christ. He's the answer to all of God's promises. And by believing in Him, you have life. That's why he's written this book. That's why it's here for us. So uh, with that, we turn to John 8. You heard Berkeley read it. Or, uh, I'm going to reference some of the passages around it. That's why I had Berkeley read some of those around there. But we're going to be focusing on verses 31 to 38. And so let's begin this morning by defining what freedom is not. Before we understand what freedom is, let's define what freedom is not. Learning to see what freedom is not will give us clarity as to what freedom is. I think you'll see that as we walk through. So what we're going to see in this passage is that freedom is not believing lies. Because believing lies leads to death. Therefore, believing lies is slavery. You'll see that. Believing lies is not freedom, it's Slavery, even, listen, even if it claims to be freedom. You'll see that as we look in. So, Jesus says there in verse 31 and 32 that if you abide in Him, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you abide in Him, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Now, these people that He's speaking to, uh, these people who just a moment ago claimed to believe in Him, you can see that there in verse 30, they react in a way that exposes that their belief was in fact not real. In verse 33, they say in response to what Jesus just said in 31 and 32, they say that they are of the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, they observe that they have never been enslaved. So why do they need to be set free? Now, of course, these guys would have known that politically speaking, they were very much uh, enslaved. They would have been reminded of that. They knew that. They knew very well their history of Egypt when they were enslaved. They knew in this moment that they were enslaved by Rome. Uh, They, I'm sure, would have been aware of the uh, Assyrian and Babylonian and Persian captivities. They know all of these things. They're not talking about, they're not referencing political uh, enslavement. They're referencing that spiritual notion. You'll see them employing uh, the idea of being the descendants of Abraham. They understand themselves to be children of the covenant. That means they're sons and daughters of God. So to quote a later Bible verse, if God is for them, 
Who can be against them? Or who can enslave them? That's their line of thinking. These are privileged kids. They didn't need to be set free. They already had been set free by the proximity to their tradition in the Abrahamic covenant. Now, Jesus hears this. Maybe he shakes his head. Who knows? He corrects them, though, in verse 34. Everyone, I think he uses that word intentionally, everyone, including those guys, including those Jews, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, he wouldn't have said that if he didn't think that these Jews were, in fact, slaves to sin. In fact, he references that if you look back up in verse 21. It says there that you will die in your sin. He tells them in verse 24, you die without believing me. You die in your sins. And so herein we have the tension in the story. Now, every great movie, right, has a tension moment. Well, here's the tension moment. These people think they're free. You can see that inferred there in verse 33. They think they're free. But we see from verse 34, Jesus knows that they're not because they're unrepentant in their sin. There's the tension. Jesus is telling them that they need to be freed from their sin, but they think they already have been just by mere proximity to being in the covenant of Abraham. And so, friend, you should know as we look and think about this passage, just because you think that you're free does not mean that you are. Just because you come from the right family, just because you have the right confessional theology, just because you feel free does not mean that you are free. You may, friend, be believing a lie. That lie that you may be believing is actually then enslaving you to death and you may not even know it. These guys, keep in mind, these guys are dead men walking. They thought that they were alive. And I wonder how many people thought like these guys. How many people think like this today even? That because they're in the right tradition, because they have the correct confessional theology, because they feel free, they are free. All of those are lies in and of themselves. We have to be reminded, right? Ishmael was a son of Abraham, yet he was not a child of the covenant. We have to be reminded Satan at least knows intellectually good theology. Better theology than probably all of us. We can even look today, the rich and the famous, they feel as though they're free. But they are more bound by that fame and by that fortune than by anything else. So these guys here in this story, they needed freedom and they thought they already had it. Therefore, when the call to receive freedom came, they didn't listen. They didn't think they needed it. By the way, friends, you should know this call to freedom is coming from Jesus Himself. And so, if you're one of those people that think that, well, if Jesus were here and I could hear it from His own lips, then I would receive Him. Then I would believe Him. Friends, that was the case with these people and they still didn't believe. They still weren't ready to listen. They thought that they were free. I think a lot of people make the same mistake today. A lot of people think that they are free, but in fact, they are not. They think that they're free, but they're actually enslaved. And now some of you then may ask the question, well, how is it you know that you're deceived and therefore enslaved? How do we know? Good question. How do you know that if you're enslaved to sin and actually not free? Well, Jesus says there in verse 37, take a look. I know that you are the sons of Abraham. So there, Jesus agrees, in fact, with their claim. Yet, he goes on, you still, you seek to kill me. Remember, these are the same guys that just a moment ago were saying they believe him. Yet you seek to kill me. Why? Why would they seek to kill Jesus? Because, he says, my word finds no place in you. 
Two things there that inform what it means to not be free. One, the Word of Christ has no place inside of you. And two, that then results in the external reality of wanting to kill Jesus. Now, we can't kill Jesus, but we have to be reminded, right? Acts chapter 9, Saul is on the way to Damascus, and Jesus understands that to persecute the church, to take down His Word, to take down His people, is to attack Jesus. So this does still apply to us today. If the Word of Christ has no place in you, the teaching, the proper teaching of this Word, that then results in an action of wanting to take down Jesus and Jesus' people. That is, in fact, how we know that you might be enslaved to lies. Jesus then concludes in verse 38, I do what I have seen in my Father. And you do what you do since you are of your Father. And you ask again, what, what, who's their Father? Well, in verse 30, 41, who do they claim their Father to be? God. Abraham, they mention that. And then they go on to say, in verse 39, they say Abraham's their Father. In verse 41, they say God's our Father. And Jesus corrects them down in verse 44 and says, nope, you're wrong. Your father is the devil. Pretty bold words from Jesus, isn't it? Your father is of the devil. Now, how does Jesus know that? Well, it's because he's the son of God, the son of man. Oh, actually, I think he can do. We see something that he does that we can do even today. Because the words of Christ have no place in them, which leads them to wanting to kill Jesus. Jesus says in verse 44 that their actions, note the words, their actions are of the character of the devil, even though they claim to be of the character and the lineage of God. Don't lose sight of that. Their actions are illustrating the the word of Christ has no place in them. And therefore, their actions are more in the character of their father, the devil, not the character of God, even though they claim to be of the character of God. These guys are not free, but they thought they were. These guys thought they were children of the covenant, sons of God, privileged people, free on the right side of history. And they weren't. Jesus exposed their hearts. These are the ones that are actually enslaved. They were certainly in the tradition of Abraham. But they were born of Satan, the father of lies, because they believed those lies. And so, friends, freedom is not found in believing lies because believing lies leads to death. Therefore, believing lies is actually slavery, even if it claims freedom. And the way that we know that we are being deceived into death is by our not receiving the word of Christ, therein resulting in unrepentant sin, which leads to death and wanting to take down Christ and his word. So these people, Jesus says, though claiming to be free, are actually enslaved. So first point there, freedom is not believing lies. So then what is freedom? Let's now move that direction. What is freedom? Now we could say that if freedom is not believing lies, it is believing the truth, right? In fact, Jesus says as much there in verse 32. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we could say quite simply, lies will enslave, truth liberate. But then you get the question, right? The question of the ages. Pontius Pilate's question. What is truth? Good question. Whatever our answer is to that, friends, we're going to have a good understanding of what freedom actually is. Not what freedom uh, is told to us. What, not, what freedom, not what we might want freedom to be. But what freedom actually is. Whatever the truth is, this thing that Jesus is talking about there, whatever that is, that's what freedom is. That's what leads us into freedom. And so what does Jesus mean by the truth there? 
Well, I think verse 36 gives us our answer. If you want freedom, friends, which I assume all of you do, you're going to pay attention, really close attention to what's going on here. In verse 34, Jesus describes slavery as the practice of sin. I understand that to be unrepentant sin. It just sort of goes on. Sin is rebellion against God because it opposes the character of God. That's why it's rebellion against God. And so if sin goes on unrepentant, verse 35, Jesus then moves. He says the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. In other words, he's nodding there at death. We know that by what he says next, because the son remains forever. Meaning the son of eternity. Slaves die, the son lives forever, which brings us to verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Do you see what Jesus did there? Collapse verse 32. If you like to write in your Bibles like I love to do, uh, I wish y'all could see this. You know, I've got lines all over this passage connecting all kinds of things. If you're doing that, this would be a good one. Connect 32 to 36. Do you see what he did? Jesus just collapsed the truth with the son. 32, know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 36, if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So what's the truth? The truth quite simply is Jesus. Jesus is the truth because Jesus is the Son. You say, Nathan, how do you know that? Well, just look back in verse 28. You see that he understands himself to be Son. The Son of God, the Son of Man. If you understand the Son of Man, go back and read uh, Daniel chapter 7 this afternoon. You'll see that the Son of Man is the Son of God. Jesus understands himself in verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Jesus is the Son. And so the truth sets us free, and the truth is the Son, and the Son is Jesus. He is our freedom, and He sets us free. And isn't this exactly what Jesus says of Himself later back in John 14, verse 6, right? Well-known verse, I am the way, I am what? The truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. So what's freedom? Freedom's found in the Son. Because the Son is the way. The Son is the truth. He has come to set us free. But we still have more work to do, don't we? Free from what? Free from what? Well, I'm going to define it as being freed from something and being freed to something. From something to something. Verse 34 shows us what we're freed from. We're freed from sin and its guilt. From sin and its guilt. And freed to the love of God. We'll work on that in a moment. But for now... Let me give you a working definition of what freedom is. Freedom is the absence of guilt and the presence of love. Freedom is the absence of guilt and the presence of love. And this ministry only comes by Jesus. Freedom is being freed from the guilt of sin, freed to the Savior's love. That's what freedom is. So if you want it, maybe even in a smaller phrase or another way, you don't like that definition, we could say that Christ is freedom, and freedom is Christ. So let's work through both parts of that definition there. Let's take a look at that first part. Freedom is the absence of guilt. Look back up in verse 24 again. You see it there? I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Match that with verse 34. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So who in here sins? Me, yeah, that's right. Everybody should be raising their hand, right? Which reminds us of the teaching of Romans, right? Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can think of John who writes in another letter, 
First John 1.18, when he says, if we say we have no sin, we lie. In the same language, and the truth of Christ is not in us. So we all sin, right? And so if we are going to really have the freedom that we really want and desire, we've got to start with the bad news. And the bad news is, is that all of us have a sin problem. We're enslaved to doing what we want to do. By nature, we are of the Father, our devil. And you say, Nathan, that's a little strong. That's exactly what Ephesians 2, 1-3 to teaches. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedient, among whom we all were children of, what's the word? Wrath. This is who we are. We are bound by the guilt of our sin. We have all rebelled against the God that made us. If we were being honest, we read that definition from the Oxford Dictionary. Come on, let's be honest. You kind of liked it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, that actually would be freedom. If I could just do, say, think, whatever it is I want, that would be freedom. And yet, that's the very definition of sin. That's the core of the problem with the world. That's what Jesus came to rescue us from. He came to rescue us from the guilt of sin that we've committed against the good God that made us. Doing whatever we want and not doing as God wants. And all of our affections and all of our actions. So, We've never have, we can never have freedom until that guilt is dealt with. James talked about this last week from Isaiah 12. The anger of God is against us. That's got to be dealt with. We have, we are guilty. And that's what Jesus has come to do. He's came to set us free from that guilt. He has come to set us free from the guilt of our sin. That's why Jesus says, don't, don't lose sight of this in verse 36. Bracket that. Underline it. Circle it. The Son set you free. The Son set you free. Can you, can you free yourself? No. I can't free myself no matter how hard I try, no matter how good I am. See, this is what every religion on planet earth gets right. They all understand. Every single religion on planet earth understands that there's a sin problem that has to be dealt with. Where we disagree with every other religion on planet earth is right here at this one point. They believe, every other religion believes that you can do it. If you obey enough, maybe God will love you and He'll kind of sweep the rest of that sin under the rug and you'll come on in. But Christianity, I think, is honest. It says, we're not that good. We can't even work our way up to 51% good. right? I can't. I'm on a good week. I might get up to 5% good. So, Christianity is honest about that reality. And so, whereas every other world religion incorrectly puts the emphasis on you to try to be good enough to deal with that guilt, to do enough good things to kind of sweep it under the rug, Christianity says, no, that's not possible. And so, therefore, we cannot do it. We need God to do it for us. That's why Jesus came. To set us free from that guilt. He knows that. God the Father knows that. Jesus knows that. That's why Jesus is sent. And that's why He says that He has come to set us free from the guilt of our sin. Only He can do it. Only He's the truth. And so this is how freedom comes. Through the ministry of Christ alone for salvation. He says, Jesus does, He says He comes to set us free. And the way that He sets us free is by dealing with the guilt of our sin. How does He do that? By living a sinless life, a guilt-free life, He goes to the cross to receive the wrath, the anger, the punishment of our guilt on of the sin that we have committed against God. He goes to the cross, pays that penalty, pays it in full. 
And then this amazing exchange happens for those that place their faith in Christ. Jesus takes our penalty, our guilt, our shame. And guess what He does for those of us that believe? And He transfers His record to us. That's that's amazing that that is possible. This reveals what God is like. Jesus Christ takes our guilt and our shame. And so look at me, Christian. Look at me and listen to me right now. Don't lose sight of this. When Jesus died, you died. He took all of your guilt. He took all of your shame. He took it all. He dealt with it. When He dies, you died. He took your shame. He took your guilt. He dealt with it. You don't have to deal with your guilt anymore. This is exactly why you should post this up on your wall, put it on your phone, write it in your desk. These three words, it is what? Finished. Done. Dealt with. Guilt taken away. This is the same kind of stuff we think about in Leviticus with that, that goat that's is sent away. It's out. It's gone. Your guilt is gone. In Christ, through faith, it is finished. The Son has, perfect tense, the Son has set you free. He knew you couldn't set yourself free from the guilt of sin, so He came to take it from you. He's dealt with it once and for all. You're free from the guilt of your sin. That's what it means to be free. You're free from the guilt of all of your sin against God. Which is why every other world religion is so difficult because you just are constantly reminded by your guilt every time you have to go and do that religious act. In Christ, you can come in here free. So good. So it doesn't matter, friend, what you uh, may be feeling guilty about, Christian. Jesus has dealt with it. You didn't come in this morning uh, holding on to your guilt. And if you are, you need to give it to Jesus. He's happy to take it from you. Matter of fact, He already did 2,000 years ago. So just recognize the reality of what has already happened through your faith in Him. The Son has set you free by your faith in Him and His finished work on the cross and in the resurrection. Which, by the way, is this wonderful truth that Paul writes in Romans 8.1 after he thinks about all of the guilt of our sin and says, there is therefore now how much condemnation? Zero, zilts, nada, none. No condemnation. For everybody? No. For those who are in Christ Jesus. And we normally stop there, but listen what he writes next. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Amen. So good. Freedom is the absence of guilt. Gosh, we got to remind ourselves of that every day. If you're wondering why Christians gather once a week, this is why. Because we forget it. We walk around guilty all the time and we forget Christ has dealt with my guilt once and for all. I'm free from that guilt. By the grace of God, through your trust in Christ's atoning work on the cross, you're free. Your guilt has been uh, cleared. What Christ is now, Christian, you are. That's how God sees you. Nick preached on this so beautifully two weeks ago from Colossians 3. Our life, we have died. And we are now hidden with Christ in God. God sees you that way. Guilt-free. That is the truth that you've got to live in to set you free. But there's more. There's more. Freedom, we said, is not believing lies. Freedom, we said, is believing the truth. The Son is the truth. And the Son sets us free by His dealing with the guilt of our sin against God. But that's not it. The other part of freedom is being delivered to the love of God. 
Freedom is being delivered to the love of God. From, from the guilt of our sin to the love of God. See, most gospel sermons would have stopped right where I just finished. They would have stopped right there. And they would have been true. They would have been right. They would have been good. We should rejoice in that. But we can't stop. At just Jesus clearing the guilt of our sin. That is not the end of the gospel. It's not even the heart of the good news. Freedom is most definitely being freed from the guilt of our sin, but beloved, we can't stop there. Would an adoptive parent understand the whole of their work to deliver a child from a hard situation? Is that what they would think? No. No, they understand. Adoptive parents understand. What they want to do is they want to deliver them from a hard life into a good life. And they couldn't do that where they were. And now in their home, their understanding of what that good life is, now they can live it inside of that new home. That's the other side of our adoption. Adoptive parents, good adoptive parents, do that kind of work because they understand that the Heavenly Father did that in us that believe. He recognizes, Jesus does, that for us to be truly free, He needed to not only deliver us from the guilt of our sin, He recognizes that He also needed to deliver us to His love because It is in His love that we find the peace that we were made to have and the life that we were made to live. Freedom is being set free from something to something. From guilt to love. That's freedom. And it happens only in Christ. This is so deep abiding words that liberate people. Ever see one of those... um, Animal catch and release videos. Really bad transition, Nathan. Right? <laughs> I think it illustrates what happens in freedom, right? As you, maybe you see an eagle or whatever on these, one of these videos, they come in, a wing is broken, and a physician comes in and heals the wing, right? It at least helps facilitate the healing of the wing. And once the wing is healed, what do they do? They go back out into the wild, their native environment. And what do we do? They lift them up into the sky and that eagle flies. And what do you do when you see that? You all go, big smile in your face. He's free, right? Why do we say that? Because he's doing the thing that he was made to do, to fly in his native environment. It wasn't just to get his wing healed. It wasn't enough to do that. He needed to fly because that's what eagles do. And that's the freedom of the Gospel. That's what it gives us. It not only heals us of our sin, it trains us to do the thing that we were made to do. Love. Love. Enjoy enjoy the love of God and then love as God loves. But the problem is, we can't do that naturally. We don't. We have trouble loving. We believe lies about love. Either we love the wrong things or we love the right things too much. And Jesus magnificently frees us from those disordered loves by His making it possible to love as He loves. Like an eagle is to fly, like a horse is to run, like a fish is to swim, like the sun is to shine. We, His image bearers, were made in His image so that we would love God and love our neighbor. And enjoy His love. Display His love. That's why He made us. And so since Christ in love freed us from the guilt of our sin, 
He then makes it possible to do that by His sending the Spirit that takes up residence inside of the life of the believer. And therefore, that Spirit within us, the Spirit of Christ is called, the Spirit of Christ He is called, He then empowers us to do what? To love as He loves. To enjoy the love of God. And to love as He loves. Because apart from Him, we cannot love. Not consistently. Nathan, where are you seeing that here? It's what you should be saying right now. We'll take a look there at a verse that my guess is you maybe, I noticed when Berkeley read it, he rightly sort of emphasized it, so maybe you caught it. But take a look at verse 29, chapter 8. I want you to notice this is the verse that leads into his teaching of 32. Remember, if you're not familiar with the Bible, how it works. When it was written, there was no chapters, no verses, sorry. So this is flowing right into his teaching on freedom. John 8.29, Jesus says one of the most amazing things you'll read in the Bible. One of the most amazing claims in the Bible. Jesus says there, He, referencing the Father, has not left me alone. There I think He's referencing the Spirit. And then we get this amazing claim. And underline that word always. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. It's His Father. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. So the Spirit descends upon Jesus at His baptism so as to accompany Him in the work that He would do. And that work was not only to love us by freeing us from the guilt of our sin, but that work also included teaching us what it means to know and enjoy and love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Something Jesus always did. Anybody in the room here can say you've always done what was pleasing to the Father just in the last week? No! And yet, that's the claim that Jesus is making. Jesus always had pleasure in obeying the Father. He never got it wrong. Not once. And He wanted to make that known to us. I mean, we think about these claims of Jesus, right? Like, oh, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man. This has got to be one of the most amazing claims in the entire Bible. He claimed that He never got it wrong. And not only did He not get it wrong, He loved not getting it wrong and always getting it right. He had pleasure in always doing what God wanted Him to do. He always pleases the Father. We know that Jesus is telling the truth here, right? Because first of all, He just said that He was the truth. But secondly, we also know that as the Bible teaches us, that He was tempted in every way as we are. Yet what? Was without sin. He always did what pleases the Father. Here's a critical question for this notion of freedom. Listen, and try to answer this question. Was it a burden to Jesus to always do what pleased the Father? Was that a burden to Him? Was that something He wanted to kind of break free from? Was His being pleased to always do what the Father had Him to do? Was it, was it negatively restricting for Jesus to always do what pleased the Father? Was the faithfulness of Jesus in life and doctrine something that checked His joy? Do we catch any hint of that? No. No, none. Jesus wants to free us from a lifestyle of enslavement to ourselves. And He illustrates what that's like. Jesus was free. And we know that He was free because He did everything that pleased the Father. Let me give you a later verse. If you're doubting, if you're thinking I'm sort of reading between the lines too much here, take a look at John 14, 31. This is what Jesus says. 
I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know I love the Father. Jesus like Jesus going, I want to obey God in His command so much because I want the world to know I love Him so much. I want to obey so much because I want the world to know how good He is, how much I love Him. So we should ask the question, was Jesus free? Yes. How is it we know that He was free? Because He had no guilt of sin. And secondly, He did all that pleased the Father. He loved God by obeying God. He wasn't burdened by the guilt of his sin. He gladly did all that pleased the Father so that the world would know that he loved God. And so, friends, when you walked in here this morning and you heard that we were going to be talking about freedom, my guess is most of you, none of you probably thought that freedom is at least in part being able to love God so by, so as to obey him. Anybody thinking that when you came in? I think we, we often, as Christians, we often think the opposite, right? That's the part of the, that's the part of the Christian life, trying to obey the word, right? That's the part of the Christian life in which we don't like. Matter of fact, you probably thought when you came in this morning, preacher's gonna get up there, he's gonna say a bunch of stuff, I'm gonna feel guilty, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna try my best to try to obey this week. That's sort of how most sermons go, right? It's probably how some of my preaching goes. Unintentionally. And yet, what we find here is the thing that oftentimes gives us the most guilt, like, I gotta get myself into that word, like, ah! That's the thing that Jesus loved to do. Think about it. If you're not a Christian, my suspicion is you're here this morning, you're evaluating the Christian faith, and you're probably thinking, one of the reasons I don't want to follow Jesus is because I know that I'll have to give up this or that in order to do this or that. And that doesn't sound like a good trade-off to you. You'd rather kind of keep your old life. And so you don't want to follow Jesus. And again, I think you're reflecting what many of us Christians sometimes feel. We, we sometimes feel that the Bible is restrictive. It's a straitjacket. We don't feel free by the commands of God. We feel oftentimes enslaved by them. Yet Jesus saw it entirely the opposite way. Totally opposite. And I can't help but wonder, guys. I've been burdened by this this week in my own life. I can't help but wonder if this is why so many of us who are in Christ are not enjoying the freedom of Christ. Because we don't see His Word as liberation. And the, the ability to love Him like that as liberation. We don't live in the innocence of Christ that we have. We live too much in the guilt. And then secondly, we don't see His Word as the way in which to love Him and to love others and find freedom in that. Which I think is why some of us think it a bit odd of the psalmist to gush over the law. Ever notice that? Am I the only one to sometimes read Psalms like Psalm 119 and go like, dude is kind of taking the law a little too happy. Like, you know, I mean, I, you know, you think about it. Now, he's writing the law here. He's thinking about Leviticus. He's thinking about numbers, books that we're like, oh, I've got to get reading. Bible reading plan, trying to get through Leviticus. It's hard. And yet the psalmist is going, man, I love it. Love Leviticus. It's because he gets it. He gets what love is. He gets what freedom is. Let me just read some of these to you. Psalm 119 alone. I could go tons of other places. Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimony. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. Verse 47, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. How about this one? Verse 62, at midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Okay, anybody in here do that last night? Right? One o'clock, ah, just having trouble sleeping. 
Man, but you know what, Lord? These righteous rules, I love them so much. Having trouble sleeping, but love your rules. Love them. Ah, oh, I don't even know if I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm just going to think about how awesome your word is. And yet, that's the psalmist. Because they got it. They understood what freedom was. Keeps going. I could give you so many more. Just another one. Verse 11, 119.11. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Guys, they're saying this because they believe that the Word of God is the way of life and love. Jesus makes that possible for us to love Him by obeying Him. He's the only one that can do that. When Jesus in love sets sinners free by grace through faith in Him, He frees us by removing our guilt and our shame. And as adopted sons and daughters, He sets us down in a symphony. And He makes it possible for us to play an instrument that we could not play. He makes it possible for us to read music in front of us that we could not previously read. And He makes us, He has us to have the desire to play music, not independently by ourselves, but alongside the other saints that are playing other musics as we sing a symphony to God. That's freedom. Isn't it? You ever been to a symphony when they're doing it together? That's freedom when they're playing the music just as they were supposed to. And it's beautiful, right? I've seen it in the life of this church a thousand times. And it's so beautiful. In Christ, we are free to love God and neighbor by obeying His loving commands that lead to life. That's freedom. These guys in this story, they were all for not dying in their sin. They liked the idea of being cleared of their debt. Probably why they said they believed in Him. What tripped them up though was being free to love in a way that Jesus loved. That's what tripped them up. In other words, they didn't want to change their lifestyle. They wanted to be freed from guilt, but they didn't think they needed to be freed to love as Jesus loved. They wanted to love however they wanted to love. As children of Abraham, to keep on doing as they pleased. That was freedom for them, but Jesus called that slavery. Jesus' version of freedom was doing all that pleased the Father. That's what love is and that's what love does because, finish the sentence, God is love. I can't help but wonder how many people are like these guys. People that say that they believe in Jesus, they want to be freed from their guilt, but they don't see freedom in loving Him by obeying His commands. Don't we see this right a lot in Christian circles? I find this myself in my own life. People, on the one hand, you get a lot of people who they really very much don't feel the guilt of their sin. And so because of that, they ain't really thinking much about obeying Jesus. And then you get people on the other side. They're so aware of their own guilt and they try to obey so much to the point to where they're just feeling enslaved by the Word. And what Jesus says is we need to understand both of these things together. True freedom, friends, is the absence of guilt the presence of love, receiving that love, returning that love to God and to neighbor. And all of this is possible only in Jesus Christ. And hopefully, guys, what you see, hopefully not only do you have a fully a fuller appreciation of what, uh, what freedom is, but hopefully you have a, a, a greater awareness, a greater desire to need Jesus every day, every moment of the day. Because none of us can always do what pleases the Father. Only Jesus did and only Jesus can enable us to live in that freedom. That's why we can say in shorthand, Christ is freedom and freedom is Christ. Or as Paul writes it, I can do all things through who? Christ. Who strengthens me? Athletes, scrub that off your basketball shoes. All right. 
That ain't what he's talking about. He's talking about, I can do all that, I can obey God, I can love people, I can love other people, I can love my enemies, I can do all that stuff because of Christ that strengthens me. Strengthens me to not listen to the lies of my guilt when the evil one tries to convince me of them. Strengthens me to enjoy the love of God and make His love known to the world by obeying the commands of God. And so if you're doubting, I'm going to land here, if you're doubting all of this is sort of true and you sort of think I'm you know, saying more than what Jesus is saying. Let me give this whole idea of freedom from sin's guilt into loving God by obeying God and enjoying His love. Two verses that I think perfectly encapsulate. I could have just preached these two verses. Right? Nathan, maybe you should have done that. But it, like, look at these two verses. This is what it, it says all this right here. Romans 6, 22 and 23. Note the language of being set free from something to something and believing lies is guilt. All three points I've made this morning are right in these two verses. But now that you have been set free from sin, there it is, and have become, uh-oh, slaves. Is that a bad thing? No, because God's good. And have become slaves to of God, the fruit you get leads to, there it is, sanctification. And it's end life. For the wage of sin is death. That's what freedom is not. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody says to you today, hey, what, what did the pastor preach about? And you go, I don't really remember. Just open up to that verse right there. Romans 6, 22-23. There it is. There's freedom. Two really brief applications, since we're going to be spending the next three weeks on applications. Two really brief applications. First, for those of you that are not trusting in Christ to set you free from the guilt of sin, and you are not entrusting yourself to the love of God by obeying God. Listen, I hope that you see, friend, that the that trying to delight in your every desire only leads you to slavery. I hope you see that. You were never made, friend, to find life and love and meaning by living for your own glory and doing whatever it is you please. God did not make you that way. That described, yeah, didn't make you that way. That Oxford Dictionary of Freedom as having the power to feel and think and act however you want, friend, that's not liberating. What you need is the truth. To, to do like that eagle, to fly as God made you to fly, to love as He loves. You're never going to be able to get rid of that nasty lie that comes in in your conscience that you're guilty. Trust Jesus to set you free. Trust Jesus to set you free. And know that His commands are hard. The Christian life ain't easy. But it's good. Trust in Jesus today. For those of you that are in Christ, the application here is really simple. See and savor Christ. Enjoy Him. Love Him. He's your freedom. He's taken all of your guilt away in love. And He's now made it possible for you to love as God loves. So let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Christ has freed you. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Love Him. Enjoy Him. Christ is freedom. Freedom is Christ. Don't believe lies. Be liberated by believing the truth. Believe Christ. He has come. He's dealt with your guilt. He's made it possible for you to live the good life, to love as He loves, to do all the things that are pleasing to the Father. That's possible in your life. Enjoy your freedom this week, Christian. Enjoy it. And tell others about it. How good He is. Because He's good. He frees us. Let's pray.